The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Disturbing, kind of frightening images, right? I mean, a natural disaster like the Great Flood and sudden and mysterious separations where one's taken and one's left or a thief hanging outside the house plotting the opportune time to break in and rob us. It sounds like the warnings I get from people who've experienced floods or hurricanes or tornadoes or forest fires or military invasions and war. You know, they give us a lot of advice. Some people focus on uh, being able to get out quickly with the essentials. They have a go bag. It's a suitcase or a backpack or something that they've packed up with all the essentials. I'll never forget my cousin Leslie's correspondence to me after Hurricane Katrina. She was down in South Louisiana, and she, after they were you know, able to start corresponding again a good, I don't know, month or so after the storm, she started flooding us. Never, ever hear from Cousin Leslie, ever. But she felt the need to alert us to the ways that we could prepare so that we wouldn't go through all the same hell that she had just been through. So I remember, she said, have your safe deposit box in a different city because your bank is going to get blown away in the storm. And then she said, you know, keep that suitcase or backpack packed with copies of your marriage license, your official birth certificate, photocopies of your social security card, the front and back of all of your credit cards, all your banking information, your driver's license, your emergency contacts, because you might not be able to charge your phone to get at those, a change of clothes, cash, copies of prescriptions, a few days' worth of your medication, solar chargers, and I mean, it went on and on and on. There was like two solid pages of things that I needed to somehow do to be prepared, and I got really tired and exhausted and overwhelmed just reading it. And that was in 2006, and I still haven't done anything on the list. Other people will tell us to hunker down and prepare to shelter in place, right? This is the other way of prepping. 
So they'll tell you to build a safe room in your house, preferably underground, and to stock it like a bunker, you know, with bedding, and to have an independent power supply, and to have at least a month's worth of drinking water for every member of your household and your pets, and meals ready to eat, those MREs, and, you know, things that will never, ever, ever go bad. A hundred years from now, they're still good on the shelf. And then extra pet food and crates for your pets and first aid supplies and extra clothing and everything you'll need to survive for at least a month, including a firearm so that you can shoot any neighbors who come and try to take your stuff. I kid you not, that's on the list. But Jesus isn't telling us to prep for a disaster. He's telling us and urging us instead to prepare for the inbreaking kingdom of heaven, to watch for it in the midst of marriages and deaths and births and everyday work. He says, being prepared is to do what Noah did, right? To faithfully follow God's lead, even if we get laughed at and ridiculed for it to follow God's lead day after day in the middle of all the ordinariness of life. So I looked at Jesus for, you know, a role model, and, and I noticed he's not a prepper, right? He tells us to be prepared, stay watchful, stay awake, get ready, don't loaf about, you don't know when it's going to happen, it's going to come like the thief in the night or, or like that flood. You know, that just suddenly, the flash flood that just whisked away everyone on earth. He says that, but he's not prepping. Jesus doesn't stockpile anything. Nothing. He doesn't build a shelter. He even says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He tells us not to worry about what we're going to wear or what we're going to eat or drink because he said God feeds the little birds and God clothes even the wildflowers in a way that's more resplendent than even, the, you know, even uh, an emperor could wear. So God will give us what we need as well. He said, don't worry. Don't waste your life worrying. And then when he sends his disciples out on these mission trips, this is, you know, right before his death, He's, he's sending them out and making them practice. And then after the resurrection, when they meet up with him, same kind of thing. And he sends them out and he tells them to go, what? The clothes on their backs. He says, don't take any extra tunics, no extra jacket. He said, don't take a second pair of shoes. Do not carry even a wallet. And instead, focus on the people who will receive you. It becomes all about relationships. Jesus prepares for this inbreaking kingdom of God by engaging deeply in all the ordinary things of life and using these ordinary things as moments to proclaim God's extraordinary grace. He attends weddings, turns water into wine. He participates in worship. He goes to funerals. He studies God's word. He teaches he preaches, he engages all the ways in random acts of kindness. 
He heals the sick. He visits the shunned. He speaks out against injustice. He dines with strangers and friends alike every opportunity he gets. He befriends the rich and also the poor, the clean, the unclean, and proclaims God's love for all of them. There is plenty of stuff to be scared of in this present age. There's plenty for us to be afraid of. Plenty of evil, plenty of injustice, plenty of idolatry, lots of exploitation. There's sickness, there's death. If you turn on the news or read the paper, I mean, it's just a stream of, you know, one bad thing after another. But God does not leave us in this present age. God is at work in Jesus even now bringing the age to come. The age to come is the kingdom of heaven. It is the reign of God. It's marked by love and forgiveness and unity and eternal and abundant life. I started looking for signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. Since Advent's all about being watchful, paying attention, looking for those signs of Christ's coming. So I turned up some other news on the web and came up with a, you know, stories abound. I don't know, somehow when I turn my phone on and I go to news, all I hear about are the latest shootings. But if you get on the web and you look for news, there's a lot of good news out there as well. There's a woman named Yasmin Alari who's 81 years old now. She's a co-founder of a nonprofit called Heritage Foundation of Pakistan. It turns out that Yasmin was the very first architect, female architect, in Pakistan. And she spent most of her career designing really sleek, gorgeous buildings, modern buildings for the skylines. And she retired in 2005, or thought she had retired, but then there was this catastrophic earthquake that displaced all the pa these Pakistani people. So she came out of retirement to try to solve the problem and she came up with a way for locals to shelter themselves. It was an idea for a low-cost, low-carbon, uh, cone-shaped shelter made out of bamboo. It basically comes in mats, and you kind of roll the mats out and tie them together, and suddenly you have a standing-up house, a shelter to dwell in. And they're 12 by 12 feet, and they house five people. And you can assemble them with a little bit of rope. And she says, I couldn't find any other materials after the earthquake. But there was bamboo. Bamboo was abundant. And I thought, you know, why not? We'll give it a shot. Since then, they have had all these floods. There's not a part of Pakistan that hasn't been impacted by catastrophic floods in, re in the last decade or so. And these huts have housed thousands and thousands and thousands of people in her country. And she's even got it down to a prefabricated model where a team of five can build eight shelters in one day. That's pretty good news. If we look around and we watch and we wait and we're aware, Jesus says, you're going to see that kingdom coming. The Son of Man is coming all of the time. Just watch for it. I read about Kat Hyde and Kate Maury, who founded a company called Seagulls. I don't know why they called it that. Seagulls in 2004. And what they decided to do was rescue cans of paint. So they went to the local city board and said, is there a way to divert all the cans of paint that would have been going into the landfill or the trash or whatever to us? 
And then they take that paint and they remix it and blend it into custom colors for their customers. And they said that they have, um, they can do this and sell the paint for 75% less than what you buy for normal new paint in the store, but you get these gorgeous custom blended colors. And they said the labor's intensive and it's a pain scraping out these old cans and blending this paint, but we love what we do. And in the last 18 years, they have diverted over 4 million liters. That's more than, more than a million gallons of paint, which would have caused, they said, 11 million tons of carbon, which would have required 68 million trees to compensate for that carbon. And they've grown the company and they employ 14 people. And they said that they've helped previous offenders and they've hired people who've struggled with their mental health and they've hired isolated young people. I'd say the kingdom is coming all the time. Then I read about besties, Joanne McQueen and Melissa, Marlissa Mercer, who won a million dollars playing the lottery and immediately found charities in their hometown that they could support with their winnings. People are marveling at all the good they have done in this community. And they said not many people win a million bucks and have the core goal of spending it on others and their community. I read another one. Four months ago, a young person writes, I was diagnosed with alopecia. A month later, I had lost all of my hair. This is a high school student. I was scared to come to school because I thought everybody would stare at me. The next morning, I heard a knock on my door and 10 of my friends were standing on my porch with freshly shaved head and two of them were girls. They're my best friends ever. Another said, I went to Africa to help build an orphan school when I saw a kid sitting on his own. I walked up and gave him half of my sandwich and he ran away. Secretly following him around the corner, I saw him break it into small pieces and share it with his whole class of 20, sharing the little he had. The last, in fifth grade, there was a boy who was having a party. He invited his three best friends and two kids that nobody ever talked to. When he called those kids' parents to ask if they could come, they both started to cry. Neither of them had ever been invited to a birthday party before. One has Down syndrome and the other is blind. Jesus' promise to us is that when he comes again, he will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And in the meantime, in the words of David Lowe's, come hell or high water, Jesus is at our side, granting us courage in the face of life's adversities and remaining with us even through death and drawing us into new life. Get ready for it.